Welcome to The Rock's podcast for our midweek study through Galatians. False teachers were throwing believers into confusion by perverting the gospel. They taught that salvation depended on our own good works. So the Apostle Paul must remind them that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, and to stand firm in their freedom. Now let's join Pastor Ross in our verse-by-verse study through this most liberating letter. All right, let's get ready to get started tonight with such a helpful and insightful passage, especially if you're struggling in the Christian life, uh, you will certainly be helped tonight by this passage. And so let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, it is hard to obey the commands of the Lord. We have a sinful nature on board. We just need some help, God, every day. We need the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit Lord, to overshadow us and to fill us up with the strength that we need. We're so thankful that you provide for us uh, that grace and that mercy and that power for us to be who you destined us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So as some of you know that our new youth director, Joe Ducharme, has been involved for many years in the sport of uh, wrestling. I've got a little graphic for you. In fact, his whole family, on his dad's side, they've been wrestling for years. I asked him the other day, I said, Joe, what's the longest wrestling match ever recorded? And he started talking about submission wrestling, and he said back in the day, they could go a very long time because it was all about getting the other guy to submit. And no guy really wants to lose that way. And you'd have to tap out. Now, uh, regarding Olympic-style wrestling, the record, the the longest uh, match ever recorded was 11 hours and 45 minutes. The 1912 Summer Olympics. Can you imagine grappling with somebody like that for pretty much from sun up to sundown, 12 hours like that? So the whole reason that I even started thinking about wrestling matches was really thinking about tonight's passage in Galatians 5. And if you think that 11 hours... And 45 minutes is a long time to grapple with a worthy opponent. Think again. Can you imagine a wrestling match that lasts 60 to 70 years or more, depending on how long the Christian lives? Because welcome to the Christian life, Paul. The apostle is going to describe the Christian life much uh, like a wrestling match. Submission wrestling. Two hostile opponents in a relentless battle for dominance, both grappling for control over the other one, both square off every morning on the mat in the heart of every believer in the world. So let the games begin. 
picking up at verse 16 where we left off and finishing the close of chapter 5. There it is. So I say, live by the Spirit, or walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature, the King James has flesh there. That's a nickname for that sinful nature. For what the flesh desires, what the, the, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, aren't they? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. (laughs) And the like just means this isn't an exhaustive list by any means. Yes, there are more, sadly. And so he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not be going to heaven, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's the answer. Uh, That's a lot better than provoking each other, envying each other, and becoming conceited. Amen. And so with that, we close out the chapter there, chapter 5, and we're going to take a look at this really insightful uh, uh, passage. So if you're just joining us, it's always helpful to get a little context as we kind of marinate on what's before us. So Paul the Apostle is writing a Christian congregation there in Galatia, which is in the middle of modern-day Turkey, a church that he founded. He came in with the uh, evangelism team and preached the gospel, and they became Christians. And uh, this letter, though, is written as a warning and correction and chastisement uh, because they were falling away from grace and, and listening to some false teachers who came in with a different message than Paul's. And uh, their message was, you're saved by your good behavior, by becoming uh, Jews who are under the Old Testament law, keeping a kosher table, observing the Sabbath, as you've been hearing every week. That human effort really is what puts you right with God. And so that couldn't be further from the truth. So the gospel that Paul preached, the good news is is that salvation doesn't depend on our efforts, but on his mercy. So we are justified by faith alone, by God's grace alone, through Christ alone. It has nothing to do with our goodness because we needed rescue. God did all the work. Jesus on that cross, dying for our sins, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, uh, sadly... Uh, their 
relationship with God that started out, these Galatians had deteriorated into this lifeless, loveless list of do's and don'ts. And it's not just them, because that can happen to even evangelical Christians. And it happened to them, you know? And so as a result of having a religion of rules and regulations at the expense of walking with God, it was just about, I can't do this, I can't do that. I don't do this, I don't do that, and this kind of thing. And as a result, the church was filled with just loveless, lifeless rule keepers who were bickering and picking each other apart and gossiping, and there were cliques. And so Paul has just said in the immediate previous verses to what you're looking at now, he said, you better knock off that behavior because you're going to destroy each other and you're not going to have a church at all. So these verses that just immediately precede, as I've been saying, up to verse 15, and then we'll dive into what's before us. He said, listen, you who want to be Old Testament law keepers, and that's what the problem was. They wanted to become uh, Jewish and keep the law, all 613 of them. Good luck to that. Uh, But he says, uh, you who want to keep the Old Testament commands, how about the the command to love one another? Because if you get that one right, all the other commands will fall into place. For example, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not murder. If you're just loving people, there's no way you're going to do any of those other things. And so when you love your neighbor with the same energy and fascination and obsession with with you love yourself, uh, you will fulfill the law because love does their neighbor no harm. And so uh, now we've picked up at verse 16 and following because he's just told them, hey, instead of bickering, you need to serve one another, be other-centered, be humble. And so now he's going to tell them how to do that. And, and because they're frustrated. They, they don't see the path to do it because they keep taking uh, two steps forward and three steps back. They're frustrated. And he's going to tell them, this is why you're having a hard time with the Christian life. It's going to be right here. It's not going to be about your effort or your running, but it'll be about your resting and yielding and loving God and, le- and cooperating with God's spirit in you to produce that new life. It doesn't come from you, but yielding to the Holy Spirit who comes on board when we get saved. And so this is the setup here. This uh, big paragraph divides quite nicely these 11 verses that you're looking at. Uh, verses 16 through 18 are going to state the conflict. Here's the problem. There are two forces inside of you, flesh and spirit. They're at war. They're wrestling, right? And so they both want dominance, and they, <laughs> there's no, it's irreconcilable differences, okay? And then the next verse is describe the two opposing forces in terms of what they're after. So he says, this is what happens if the sinful nature gets the upper hand. And then he says, and this is what life looks like when God is in charge of our lives and we yield to him. And then lastly, we finish up with a few verses that reveals the strategy for victory. And he just says, listen, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you what that means. So let's do this. God is saying really for the strategy, work with me, people. And so... Let's do this, verses 16 through 18, 
and um, praise the Lord for somebody shutting off their car alarm. Amen. <laughs> of course, you didn't hear that because you're so focused on the word of God. Amen. All right, so are you ready to focus in on the first part? Here's the conflict. Who's, here's who's on the mat inside your heart, the two opposing opponents here. Let's take a look. This is the Christian dilemma. So I say, live by the Spirit, walk with God. And you're not going to gratify the, the lust. That word is lust. It's desire on steroids of what the sinful self wants. For the sinful nature is contrary to the Holy Spirit and the new work that God has created in your heart. He raised you to new life. And what God wants and what the old person, sometimes called the old man, wants are diametrically opposed. They're in conflict with each other, and that's why you're having a hard time doing what you want as a Christian. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, so we'll explain what that means. And so here it is. The conflict's uh, clearly stated. Spirit versus flesh. King James Version, as I mentioned, has the flesh. And so this is a battle a wrestling match that really only Christians can understand. And um, so, sure, unbelievers can understand uh, falling short of moral behavior that they admire. And they do. Everybody has a conscience. And so non-Christians can understand it, but Christians, boy, we have the Holy Spirit. Our eyes have been opened. Our hearts have been changed. Uh, we see things clearly. We, we have new desires. We have a real change of life. We're no longer that old person. And yet, we keep doing some of that behavior. So we can really see what's going on here. Uh, we are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we don't always act it. We don't always act like it. Uh, sexually immoral people like Mary Magdalene become <laughs> pillars of virtue. Uh, violent and angry men like the Apostle Paul become gentle and loving. And greedy scam artists like Matthew become generous Christ followers devoted to Jesus in such beautiful ways. But it's... <laughs> This new life is not always consistently manifested, and it doesn't come without a concerted effort, without a wrestling going on. And as I said, two steps forward and three steps back for sure. So Paul is addressing here a frustrating experience, and he's explaining to them, here's a spiritual conflict. It's unseen. It's going on in the inside of every single uh, Christian because you have two Natures, And that's why 17b says, this is the reason you don't do what you would like to do. So in other words, you know what God requires. You want to please him. And actually, that's who you truly are. You've been changed. It says, therefore, if anybody's in Christ, they're new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So inside the new convert's heart, is this new desire to love God and do the right thing. But at the end of the day, we Christians fall short of our good Christian intentions. And he says in verse 17, and this, you do not do what you want to do, meaning that you fall short of even the good that you know is right. And so 
there is a great uh, famous passage. I don't know if I sent it over. Romans 7. All right, I'll read it to you. Uh, Paul talks to the Roman Christians about this problem. And he says, listen, I know, I, know that good, I know that nothing good dwells in me apart from the Holy Spirit. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that lives inside of me. And so we see that there, he says, when I want to do good, evil's right there with me. And so we find out that though we have a converted heart, that the sinful nature survives conversion and it needs to be reckoned dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's a constant wrestling match. It doesn't need to be daunting or intimidating and it never needs to be, uh, uh, you know, like, oh no, this is a terrible thing. He says, boy, there's an easy way to deal with this. It's walk with God. Walk with God. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's all about love and following the Holy Spirit and letting him work. And so the new creation really sincerely desires uh, to please God and to do what's right. Uh, and that's exactly opposite of the old nature that's in there. So your new creation, you know, you want to do things like overlook offenses when somebody, uh, you know, offends you. You want, you, you, the born again you. This is what the spirit, when it says the spirit, the spirit stands for the new creation that the spirit brings, the new life that he raised, raised you up to, right? And so he's saying, you know, you may want to overlook the offense. You may want to hold your tongue or let go of a grudge. You have a, you want to have a lust-free day, Right? I mean, you want to say, you want to wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to lie one time today, or I'm not going to let one unwholesome word come out of my mouth, or as a husband, all I'm going to do today is make it about my wife. I'm going to build her up, you know? And by the time the end of the day comes and you start thinking about how well I did or didn't do, uh, inevitably, you're disappointed and you're like, what is wrong with me? And Paul the Apostle says, who will set me free from this body of death? Well, the answer is Christ Jesus will set you free from the body of death and the Holy Spirit will keep you free as you yield to him. But you've got to walk with him. It's not going to happen by just knowing the right stuff up here. It's this experiential yielding of your life, spending time with him, walking, listening to him, and letting him work. And so this is what we're learning here in this passage. And so um, the, the word for the flesh there or uh, sinful nature is sarks in the Greek. And what it means is just like the flesh. It, that's why the King James has flesh. It means like muscle or actually... Uh, Meat in the market, animals, it would be called sarks or flesh. And so it takes on the metaphor of the nature of man that is fallen and, and inclined to sin and rebel against God. And we all 
have it. So it really means your animal passions. It, it means your, your biological promptings, you know, without any moral consideration. So, you know, like a pit bull. I just read that a pit bull, you know, it, it got triggered. It had a trigger. And then it mauled the little baby in the house. The little baby that it was once, you know, taking uh, pictures with and, you know, a cute, a cute scene. And then nine times out of ten, the dog was fine. But something triggered and it doesn't have the moral ability to differentiate between prompt and passion and action. And he says humans have that nature too. That will just not consider the morality of a situation. And so he says, no worries, uh, verse 18, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, what does that mean? He's saying there are two approaches to God. One is a religious approach where you just obey laws. Like, you know, I keep 613 laws. I don't do this, I do this, right? But the problem with that is there's no help. Okay, so there's no person there. So he says, but you don't have to worry because you're following a person. The spirit is the third person of the, the, the Godhead. And so he's saying it's religion versus relationship. So he says to be led of the spirit, you're following God, you're walking with God, you're living by the spirit. You will not fulfill what the body is saying or wants to react or do something sinful because you're full up with the spirit and you're being led by him. And so he's saying, if you're a rule-based person, you have this powerless dead religion, you've got the rule there, but it has no ability uh, to help you. So, you know, the Jews or these Christians were saying, I'm going to not eat pork. And as I've been saying, I'm going to keep the Passover and, and the Sabbath. And these things are going to uh, merit my salvation. And he says, they can't. Man-made rules and all the harsh restrictions that we put on ourselves, they may seem like, oh, wow, you're disciplined. And oh, wow, this must be a, you know, impressive to God. But in the end, it does nothing to help you with sensual indulgence because it's just a bunch of rules. He says, but if you're not a rule-based person, but you're a relationship with God person, instead of saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, you're like in love with the Lord and the Lord loves you and his love sets you free and you're in his grace and you just, it's a whole nother story. And so he says, walk with God, love him, and you'll have all the power you need to dominate sin and manifest godliness. So he, now in verses 19 and following, he wants an, to give us an up-close personal look at that sinful nature. It's not pretty what's down deep in the human fallen heart. Let me, before we flip over there, well, there it is, okay? Yeah, no, that's okay, you can flip. You can flip, yeah, good. Here's what Jesus said that's inside the man's heart. He said, it's from within, from a person's heart, that evil comes. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile 
a person. That's the son of God's evaluation of what's in your heart and mine without the goodness of the Holy Spirit. Do we constantly manifest all of those things all the time? Of course not. But he's saying lying dormant in every human heart is great vast potential to do terrible things. That's just because we were born related to the first transgressors. Our parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned and we sin likewise. And so now before you, it says, listen, and the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. He's got a big list and he says, I just want to warn you as I have before that when that, anything in that list characterizes your life, that's sure evidence that you don't know Christ and you are not going to heaven. Well, that's sobering. I started looking at that list really closely again because of the words, hey, by the way, if this characterizes you, anything in this list, these are things that characterize those who are perishing. So I started looking at that and I just started wondering, wow, Maybe we shouldn't tolerate uh, things so easily like that. And so now he starts out and he says, aren't the, the, the sinful things, isn't it obvious, A, that it doesn't come down from God and that we shouldn't be doing it? Isn't right and wrong kind of obvious? And I put down here, um, yes, it is obvious to us, but not obvious to the world. The world doesn't look at this list and, and condemn all of it, maybe by in word only, but we just had the Oscars, what, three days ago, whatever it was? It was at the Academy Awards, right? And so that's Hollywood's highest esteemed awards. And the red carpet was rolled out for people with standing ovations, with glitz and glamour, for people whose lives character are characterized by many things in that list. Not all of them, and not every uh, movie that has come out. There's some pretty good movies. I enjoy watching a good movie. But as Jesus himself said, the things that this world highly esteems, God finds detestable. You see, and so he says the acts should be obvious, aren't they? That they are not right, but wrong. And yes, obvious to a five-year-old, maybe, or and to people of faith uh, who are no longer blind. And so, by the way, he's not saying that anybody who isn't an unbeliever um, or is dominated by the sinful nature does all of these all at one time every day. Although, I wouldn't put it past some people <laughs> to be able to hit all of them on any given day. Amen? <laughs> They're out there somewhere, right? Okay, moving on. Here's uh, some behaviors he's saying. There's not exhaustive. Murder's not even in the list. Lying or robbery. So he says, and the like just talking off the top of his head, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's what characterizes people who are going to hell. All right. So I've got a list here. I've got, I'm going to pull them out there in groups, okay? So let's take the first group of sexual sins. There's three of them. 
sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, a word that we have defined here before, uh, but we'll have to do it again because it's a word we, we don't often use. Sexual immorality, the word there is the umbrella word for all sexual sins outside of a husband and a wife. So sexual immorality is from the word pornea, where King James got fornication, that ugly word. It originally meant to use the services of a prostitute. Uh, but it became the umbrella word for all sexual sin. Pornia in the Greek is where we get the nasty, ugly word of pornography. And Jesus did say, if you lust in your heart, you're committing adultery in the privacy, not only of your own home, but in your own heart. And so sexual immorality. So if this characterizes your life, which means it's pretty much not a struggle, but you're doing it. I mean, we struggle with everything in the list, probably. There's a struggle, but not a yielding to and a characterizing of your life. If, it's, if you're constantly doing it, it characterizes you and you need, and I would need, to take great care about anything in the list. The next word, impurity. You know, when grandma said that, don't talk dirty. That's what the word means, to tell a dirty joke. It's to defile your spirit by uh, something spiritually filthy. Uh, the next word, debauchery, is, is an open, reckless, ever-increasing pursuit of pleasure that disregards fear of God, love of family, and regard for one's own soul. Wow. All right, so the next group of sins are religious sinning, idolatry and witchcraft. So what has the world not worshipped? I mean, there. if you go to other countries, man, you, you just cannot believe there's thousands of gods to be worshipped. And so this is just something that the unregenerated heart that was created to worship will, will uh, as Romans said, they exchanged the truth about God uh, for a lie and worshipped and, worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. And so we get the idolatry for sure. One author said, hey, don't let yourself off the hook so easy, Mr. Modern uh, Western American. Because we look at India and say, wow, there's an, you know, they're bowing down to a piece of rock. Uh, but we bow down to a lot of things. So idolatry is uh, contemporized as any uh, anything we love more than God and anything that controls us more than the power of the Holy Spirit is something that we worship. And uh, Now, uh, witchcraft was a big thing, and, and believe it or not, the word comes from drugs. Pharmakia, where we get pharmaceuticals. That's the word. Because back in the day, what they did was they took drugs... Right, And then they went into chanting and they went into the altered state. And so this is a nice connection to uh, sorcery, to mediums, to psychics, fortune tellers, palm readers, astrology, all of the occult, and altering your state by ingesting pharmaceuticals that are drugs, that we're not talking about medications, right? 
And so, yeah, send your emails to Pastor Carlin if you have a problem with anything I'm saying tonight at all. Uh, you know, listen, the occult. Uh, I was at the fair. I've told you this before at the... Uh, what is it called? The Sonoma County Fair in July. At the fairgrounds, uh, there was a palm reader. And so I wrote Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 8, verse 19 on my palm. And I paid her 10 bucks or so, had the money there. And I said, I want you to read my palm. And she said, fine, I will. And I held it out. And it said Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, where it says, shouldn't you be asking God for guidance and not some fortune teller. That's what it says, right? So, well, she didn't look it up, you know. She didn't even spend three minutes with me. She just, yeah, she said, if you don't move, I'm going to pour this hot coffee on you. And I said, well, I can see the future of that right there. <laughs> it's not good. And so... You think witchcraft is a thing like, oh, whoa, what's that word doing there? Oh, newsflash from Newsweek. This is just recently, just a few months ago. Number of witches rises dramatically across U.S. as millennials reject Christianity. Newsweek. And what's going on is sorcery and witchcraft and all of the occult is a way to get power and insight and wisdom by bypassing the truth, and the scriptures, and God. We want the power. We want the wisdom. We want the peace of mind. We want to feel like we know what's going to happen in the future, but we don't want anything to do with him because he requires moral accountability and a bent knee and the word Lord. And so to, to seek power and wisdom without God is to find something called the occult. And so he says, that's just the work of the sinful nature that just wants to skirt around God and get what you need some other way. Thank you. You can go back to the social sinning now. Then all of these have to do with sinning against your neighbor. And when the Bible uses the word neighbor, it means the other, okay? The person standing there. And so hatred means to just to reject somebody, uh, Discord means to be causing strife, a troublemaker. That's what the, the sinful nature loves, to just get in there and cause a problem. Uh, jealousy and envy are both in the list, and I'll just hit them this way and define it this way. Envy wants what the other guy has, and jealousy resents and despises them for having it and wants to take it from them. All right. So if you're going to sin, I would do envy over jealousy because <laughs> jealousy is truly a monster, you know. So envy wants it, but jealousy wants to get it from you and is mad that you have it. Wow. And it's in every single one of us. It's in there. Who could raise your hand and say, I've never been envious a day in my life? Who can say that? Who can stand up here right now and say, I've never had a jealous bone in my body? Liar. Now you've broken a third one right there. <laughs> what? You know what I love about the Bible is it explains to me my own mysterious sinfulness. Is, is that, ooh, who wants to be envious? Who wants to be jealous? 
Certainly not me. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor, right? And then I see it rising up within me. Yikes. What is wrong? And the Bible says, oh, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what's your problem. You have a sinful nature. And you got Jesus crucified that thing, and you got to keep it crucified and walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires and the lusts of the flesh are mad at you because you have a bigger church than I do and you, oh, all of that nonsense. And I just put it on me, but I know out there that you guys have just as bad problems, <laughs> if not worse. <laughs> what? Barbara shaking her head. In a, you need to be on my side. You want to see a work of the flesh? All right, moving on. Fits of rage. <laughs> Selfish ambition. I think fits of rage is just like the big temper tantrum, the two-year-old in a grown body. Oh, my word. Selfish ambition is just you're all about you. God wants us to have ambition. Self-centered ambition is me, myself, and I. You don't want to do things for God. You want God to do things for you. And there's a big re um, movement uh, that will help you get those things, <laughs> apparently. And so he moves on to sentience. People like to split churches and brothers and factions. Who, people who like to fan the coals and get everybody heated up and bothered and, and envy we've already talked about. And then he repeats the warning so we can go back to the verse he says, because we're done with the list. As I have often told you <laughs> that those who do these kinds of things aren't going to heaven. Does that concern you and does it concern me? One writer said, if these are behaviors found among those who are perishing, how is it that many who profess Christ show no alarm when these very behaviors characterize their lives? Perhaps it's not as obvious as Paul has stated. May no behavior named among the damned be found in our lives in any way, shape, or form. Amen. So now the fruit of the Spirit, he says in the next verses here. But the fruit of the Spirit is, everybody, let's repeat it together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, awesome. I've got a little graphic for you just to mix it up a little bit. Love. First thing I want to tell you, they're the fruit of the Spirit. So he's not talking about human qualities. He's talking about God's qualities that he puts in there because he's present by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we yield, the fruit of his spirit is manifested. So this is uh, his property, right? So number one, if you're walking with God and you're yielded to him, you will manifest this warrior kind of love. The Bible's love, agape, uh, is a love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never wakes up one morning and says, you know what, uh, I'm not in love with you anymore. Just, it doesn't because this kind of love that comes from God is a love that when you nail it to a cross, it puts you in the best possible light. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. 
offers a prayer for the ones executing him, that's a kind of love that will be manifest through you if indeed, by faith, you've received Christ as Lord and the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, has come in and now is manifesting a love that's not just loving those who love me and who give gifts and who can help me out, but it's loving people who are unlovable and hateful and rude, in fact, our enemies. Number two, joy. This is a product of the Holy Spirit. It's the inward delight in God and his promises regardless of the adversity you're in. Happy comes from the word happenstance. Happenstance. So if you happened to be in a good circumstance, you could be happy. That's where the English word comes from. The, the word for joy here is a gift of God that runs deep and it's based on the promises of God. Of course you have joy. You have God's love and eternal life. And so it just doesn't matter what you're going through on the outside, you have joy. Third one is peace. It's defined as God's peace is a deep, profound sense that comes from God of well-being, a confidence, a soul rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God and not our own. Of course you have peace when the Holy Spirit's on board. Your sins are paid for. You're never going to be judged you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. And now every single little detail is being worked out for your good because you love God and you're called according to his purpose. If God is for you, who could be against you? Of course you have peace. A peace that surpasses knowledge. A peace that's like a warrior that guards your heart and mind. Number four is patience. It just means long-fused you just put up with it, put up with it, put up with it, and put up with it. And guess what? There's no boom. No boom. There's just a lot of tolerating. Now, common sense, people. We factor in, you know, when somebody's in harm's way or there's sin that needs to be exposed and all of that. But generally speaking, the patience that comes from God is Wow. It just is long-fused. Kindness, it means that somebody who's got a heart to always encourage, to be other-centered, always wants to bless, always want to give, strengthen and extend mercy, that kind, just, just that, that nice on steroids with the Holy Spirit. Okay, goodness, it just is a love for honest and genuine and real a uh, love to do good deeds, a person who loves to do good deeds, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Because the Holy Spirit, God is good. And God is within. So, of course, he loves to do good things, to say good things, to think good things. Whatever things are good, think on these things. See, it's a, it's a thing about him. Uh, one writer said, it's a moral shining it's to shine in a moral way because God is good in a moral way. Faithfulness is fiercely loyal, consistently trustworthy, and relentlessly reliable. It's the person who just keeps his word 
no matter what. Keeps the vow even when it hurts. Dependable. Steady Eddie kind of guy who's got your back. The gal has got your back, even if you don't deserve it. And whoever deserves that kind of uh, loving action? We all fall short. Gentleness, it's not a mean bone in your body kind of thing. Never angry at the wrong time. <clears throat> it just, it's the opposite of asserting yourself. It's this courtesy. I liked one definition, humble sensitivity to the value and sacredness of human life. In other words, the Holy Spirit puts in the Christian's heart a respect that every human being is made in the image of God and that every human being, no matter who they are, is an object of God's love and his redemptive purposes. He bled and died for them. And so, of course, you're going to be gentle with people because of whose image they bear. Self-control just means mastery of self. It's the king. It's called the king of all virtues because if you don't have it, you're a goner. Proverbs says, a man or a woman without self-control is like a, a city without a wall. In other words, just a matter of time before you're completely destroyed. The clock is ticking. You're doomed without self-control, of course, because you're going to respond. You're going to react. You're going to get a prompt and it won't matter. It won't matter if you're going to cost your marriage or cost your life or cost the fine or cost prison. It won't matter. Without self-control, you're a dead man walking. And, and you think he's talking about willpower? Oh, no, no, no. He's talking about the strength of God who can speak and make a universe. That's the kind of strength we need. And he says it's available. It's residing in there. You yield, you get out of the way, you play dead to your sin, you let him answer the door. The doorbell rings, you're saying, well, I'm not answering that. God, could you get that? And the Holy Spirit will answer the door and deal with that thing. I found that very creative. But right. I throw it out for free there. Uh, I liked what he says in verse 23. Against these things, there's no law. So these are guys who want to go under the law. And he's saying, listen, if you live this way, you know, you don't have to worry about any laws. You'll never have a thou shalt not. Or thou shalt. If your life is filled with those nine fruit of the Holy Spirit character qualities, you won't be thinking about, I got you to get you down. You won't be. He says, there's no laws against that. You, you won't be interested in defining your Christian life by what you can and cannot do. You just be in love with the Lord and he'd be working through you in powerful, miraculous ways. Let's finish up because we've got a strategy here. It's really quick. Those who belong to Christ, that's the definition. That's the definition. We believe the gospel and then he joined himself to us. We belong to him. Have now look at this. Those, us, we have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desire. Desires. Let's talk about that. Now, so the New Testament strategy here to come out on top in that wrestling match every single time. In a nutshell, 
is back to basics. What salvation 1A is if you belong to Christ, you've been identified with him in crucifixion. And so that somehow we were in Christ when Christ was on the cross, all the believers, he knew who we were. We were in him mystically, spiritually, and that old life was being judged in Christ and nailed to the tree, the cross. And he said, listen, and here's where this verse is different. Most of the other New Testament verses show what Jesus did, his crucifixion on our behalf. Here it says, we've done that. So we have a part in it. So it's, in other words, it's kind of like God bolting the door and us keeping it bolted or maybe locking the doorknob, you know, where we're aligning ourselves with what Christ has done on the cross by following through. Not giving life to those old things because you have the choice. You can tell the lie. You can lust. You have the choice. But he says, since you have been there, done that, and that's not, here's the point of verse 24. Been there, done that. You, you got up and you were baptized and you told everybody, I, I, I have died. My life is over. I've been washed and covered and cleansed and up came a new person. So... Why, can't, why are you still in the list? You can't be in the list because those, that life is over. Now when it manifests itself, you do one thing. You repent. First of all, you abstain as much as you, you humanly can by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this is what he's talking about. We are responsible to keep. He died for us to put to death the misdeeds of the body, and we continue to do that. How, how do you do that? Well, you know, you consider all vices dead, right? Have you ever been around a dead body? Um, that's part of my job. So all through 30, 40 years now, I've been in rooms with corpses. I guarantee you that I could do anything in the room and I will not get a response out of that body. My brother, we, when my dad passed away, they had him in the coffin. And my brother said, wow, he just looks so like he's sleeping and touched him with the back of his hand, touched his hand, right? My dad didn't do anything. My dad didn't say, hey, what are you touching my hand for? You know, when you're dead, you're dead. This is what... Our sin is. God says, technically, that sin nature that's saying and telling you, well, it's languishing on the cross. It's as good as dead. And if you decide that thing is dead, for all intents and purposes, it is dead. And you will have power over it. It's as simple as saying, I don't hear it. I don't see it, and I'm not going to do it. Does your sinful nature have the power to hold a gun to your head? And are you going to die if you don't do what it says? No. You can and must resist and count that thing as dead. And God says, I unplugged it. I unplugged it. And if you just reckon it dead, it will be dead. Now, it's interesting to me that that's the negative thing. First, he says, the negative, he puts it negatively. He says, shut off the sewer valve. 
That's the first thing. So you don't have the sewer valve open. You shut that one, and then you open to the Spirit, right? So he says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. God, God says, watch out for that. So you watch out for that. Shut your eyes. Shut your eyes. Don't say that. Stop talking. Stop the conversation now. You stop the conversation now. What's so hard about that? He says every single time I know in my life when I'm talking too much, I get this little, hey, hey. I get a prompt that says, hey, no, 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 no. And I get the choice to either say shh or... <laughs> I know you've never done that either. <laughs> or shut my mouth. Now, a lot of times I do, you know, because the Lord is like, listen, you don't want me to throw you down right now because I will. But uh, we have the choice. We have the choice. So let's keep in step with him. That's what this means is to align ourselves. He says, love, we love. He says, forgive. Uh, you know, Stop holding the grudge. He says you have to forgive. It, do you want to be forgiven? He says this point blank. If you don't forgive, I'm not forgiving you. Deal off. I think we ought to be working at forgiving everybody. And it's a choice. He just says, choose. Okay, I choose to forgive. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. I've got a lifetime of forgiveness for me. I've got to give that out to other people as well. So he calls for you to abstain from something, abstain. Be a willing party to your own salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me show you that picture again. We'll close out with the... Listen, there's the Holy Spirit's work right there. He's got him down. And in Genesis 4, the Lord speaks to Cain and says, Cain, what's the matter with you? You didn't know the Lord had an Italian accent, did you? <laughs> What's the matter with you, Cain? If you do the right thing, man, you'll be accepted. But if you don't know this, that sin is crouching at your door, I'll help you. Are you going to let me help you? Are you going to let me help you? Read your Bible. Study. Pray. Take a walk with the Lord. Open your heart to him. These are the things that help us to keep in step with the spirit so that the spirit can conquer over the flesh. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your wonderful mercy and these beautiful passages that the truth just sets our hearts free. God, thank you for reminding us of our weakness and our proneness to wander in our vulnerable places. We pray that you'd help us to keep, keep ourselves in step with your spirit so that we could win this wrestling match. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.